Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. Oh, let's see what the buzz is. I'm just going to tell you what the buzz is and see if you could figure out who I'm quoting. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. No time to say hello, goodbye. I'm late. I'm late. I'm late. Okay, anybody remember the White Rabbit? Uh Uh-huh. In Lewis Carroll's Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Fictitious character, but he was just always running late. And that's a wonderful lead-in, IMHO, in my humble opinion, to our topic today. Traffic. If you don't like sitting in traffic... If you're in a car, in a what we used to call a cab, it could be an Uber today, a bus, a train, even on the runway at an airport, you're in good company. Most of us in cities around the world, those of us who are drawn to the urban areas, whether or not we're commuting to or from a workplace, we are spending more time than ever before in traffic. Why is the big question? Well... It's good news, actually. Economic growth, we want that. More people are choosing to live closer to what we'll call the urban core. City infrastructure, this is not so good. It just can't keep up with the nonstop escalating demand for transportation around the hub. And what is the big deal about traffic other than, oh, I'm sitting here again? Well, stress leads to health issues, leads to delays, Less family time. How about businesses not starting on time? Meetings getting delayed or canceled? Oh, my. What about housing prices soaring out of the range of people who would like to be part of those cities? What about the impatient demand from the citizenry knocking at the door of the city, whether it's digitally or on the door, saying, I want better services. Why aren't you helping me? And so much more. So the question on the table today here on Coffee Break with Game Changers is, how can smart citizens, and I'm addressing all of you, our global listeners, around the world as smart citizens. How can we engage with government and use technology to get to where we're going on time? So the title of this episode number 323 of Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio is Smart Citizen Engagement and Transportation. Just get me there on time. This is part three of a citizen engagement series, mini-series within Coffee Break that we've been running. Let me tell you who our panelists are today. I think our, our third panelist is Almost ready to come on. So first up, in just a moment, I'll be welcoming back Donovan Guin. He's Customer Engagement Consulting at IBM, and he is IBM's North America Lead for SAP Hybris. So happy to have him back. We do have our third panelist. Joining us is a newcomer, Jesse Sandberg, Shared Service Fellow with the IBM Center for the Business of Government. I love that title, Jesse. And rounding out the panel, we just got him through the magic of Skype. Yay! Mike Eberhardt, Global Industry Principal in Public Sector at Hybris Software SAP. Welcome, Mike. So let's go around the table to Donovan, and let's see. Donovan has sent us an opening quote from John M. Culkin, C-U-L-K-I-N, Jr., who lived from 1928 to 1993. I'm bobbling that. An American academic and former priest, a leading media scholar and critic, educator, writer, and consultant. I love the way, Donovan, when they put together these bios on people who've passed, that they usually have about 12 professions. And you know you've heard me read the bio for people like Einstein and Gandhi. and They just seem to, to all be Renaissance people, and I love that. Uh, actually, in 1969, Culkin left the Jesuit priesthood and formed the Center 
for Understanding Media, named after a Marshall McLuhan book. He also advised the creators of Sesame Street, and he helped organize parochial school instruction in TV and proposed a special cable TV channel for children way back in 1970. He was ahead of his time. Here's the quote. We shape our tools, and thereafter, our tools shape us. John M. Culkin. Donovan Gewin, welcome. How are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you? I'm well. Love the quote. And who is this Culkin? How did you find the quote? Are you a fan, a follower? And he seems to have a little finger in everything. Yeah, you know, I really wasn't aware of him. I was aware of Marshall McLuhan, and I think this quote had been attributed to Marshall McLuhan at some point, but then doing some digging, we found this person. And this quote itself, I think, is a paraphrase of a quote we heard from Winston Churchill at some point, saying, you know, we, we build our buildings and our buildings shape us, and extending that to tools. I just thought it was really interesting, right, whether we're talking about digital or media or even, you know, our cities and our cars, right? I mean, we're spending, like, whole weeks of our lives just sitting in traffic, so if that's not shaping our life, I don't know what is. Absolutely. And, and do you think there is a cure? We've, we've covered this topic, Donovan, a couple of years ago on our series called The Future of Cars with Game Changers. And I don't know that we ever came up with there, there is never going to be that answer because, as I said in my opening, continued economic growth is a good thing. And we don't want to stop that. But that means cities, congestion, traffic, everybody trying to get somewhere at the same time. So do you think there is a cure? I don't want to end the show after this, but we could if you have something very profound to say. Donovan? <laughs> Well, Elon, Elon Musk might say, let's all just move to Mars, there's plenty of room, but I, I, I think for the rest of us, uh, it's going to be an internal struggle, so uh, that, that's why it's such a fascinating topic. Thank you very much. Good opening. Appreciate your coming back with us. And now let's introduce our newcomer on the panel. He is Jesse Sandberg at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. And Jesse has brought back a quote from the Rolling Stones. Is there a person alive who doesn't know who the Rolling Stones are, but you may not know they were formed as a rock band in England in 1962? Okay. And the first stable lineup, meaning there were people coming and going, Brian Jones on guitar and harmonica. Mick Jagger, yay, Mick, lead vocals. Keith Richards still around, guitar, backing vocals. Bill Wyman on bass, Charlie Watts on drums, and Ian Stewart on piano. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1989 and the UK Music Hall of Fame in 2004, and they've been ranked number four in Rolling Stone magazine, of all places, on the 100 Greatest Artists of All Time, and they've sold more than only 250 million records. Here's the quote. Uh, Jesse, I'm going to try my best not to sing it, but there will be a little lilt in my voice, so please forgive me. You Go can't, for it, buddy. <laughs> thank you, dear. You can't always get what you want, but if you try, sometimes mm. you just might find you get what you need. Jesse Sandberg, so happy to have you on. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Tell me about this quote. Are you a big Mick Jagger and the Stones fan? So, um, yes, I'm a Stones fan, and what's What's really amazing about this song, it's from 1969, so it's a, a time of sort of crisis and a time of optimism, and that's what sort of Mick is talking about on a personal level. Um, he's looking for something, appearances aren't what they seem to be, but nevertheless, at the end of it all, he gets what he needs. So he's chasing ideas, he's chasing... Um, perhaps a woman, no doubt. But -hmm. at the end of the day, he, there's soaring music in the song and he, he finds himself in a really good place at the end. And that's, I think I'm going to apply that 
sort of generally to our discussion today about government in the 21st century, but there's another way to look at this, which is if you're looking at the world as a community, which I think the three of us will be in this discussion, mm-hmm. sometimes what you want as one type of transportation isn't what you need as a community. And I think we're going to get to that topic shortly. Can you just give me a little bit of detail on that, Jesse? That was very provocative. What we think we want is not what we need. Can you give me an example in some kind of transportation? I know our listeners would love to hear that right away. So we'll talk um, in more detail, but if you just Mm -hmm. think about Uber and Lyft and what they provide, let's say, in the city of New York, there are an additional 50,000 cars circulating around Manhattan during the day, and that has created a crisis in traffic at a time when mass transit is under increasing stress. So uh, it what looked like a really terrific way to move people more quickly mm-hmm. is ending up costing not just those in their cars moving slower, but those on subways and buses as well. There you go. Backing up, backing up, backing up. By the way, Jesse, I have been in New York for the last 35 years, grew up about three miles from where I've been the last three decades, and I'm now in Durham, North Carolina. And I have to tell you, on Glendale Avenue, which is also called Route 70, they think it's a traffic jam, Jesse, if it takes you two lights to go a half a mile and you have to actually wait for those lights and the traffic leading up to them. It reminds me of back in the day in the 70s when I lived in Eugene, Oregon, and very small town, very, very urban. Uh, we had a, a huge performing arts center with all kinds of modern art. We had tree huggers, of course, but uh, they said it was a traffic jam, and they actually had a helicopter at 5 o'clock reporting the traffic. I think there were three blocks with traffic lights downtown, and if you had to wait too long to get through the first light, they reported that on the traffic helicopter. Coming from New York, I always thought that was very amusing. (laughs) I get it. I get it. I know you get it. I can hear you get it. So thank you. Great introduction. I'm glad to bring back the Stones. And now let me bring back Mike Everhart. Mike is calling in from somewhere. I don't know where exactly on Skype. And Mike is bringing us a wonderful quote from Andy Warhol. I don't know how many people know he was born Andrew Warhola, W-A-R-H-O-L-A, lived from 1928 to 87. Uh, you may be familiar, if you don't know the name, with the Campbell Soup Cans pictures and the uh, called The Diptych of Marilyn, uh, 1962, and his experimental film Chelsea Girls in 66. He was an icon of the art world. He had an art studio called The Factory. He uh, invented the, the phrase, many of you may be familiar with this, the expression, 15 minutes of fame. Okay, so we're giving our three panelists today each 15 minutes of fame, but we're sharing it on a one-hour live radio show. So we'll we'll up that to 17 minutes of fame per. No, I have very famous panelists on the show. So here's the quote Mike has selected from the great lore of Andy Warhol. Quote, they always say time changes things, but you actually have to change them yourself. Mike Eberhardt, how are you and where in the world are you today? It's already um, 11 o'clock, close to midnight. And, um, yeah, I'm happy to be on the phone with you and on the radio. Thank you, Mike. Go ahead. Tell me about the quote, please. So, actually, I believe it is not so far away from the quote uh, chosen by uh, uh, Jesse and Donovan. So, we are all um, actually uh, um, responsible to change on our small scale. 
and uh, whatever we do, it is in our hand. So today, um, um, uh, small changes are actually, if we are um, contributing a review of a restaurant or uh, if we um, 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 complaining about the service in the government, these are small changes and um, and based on the fact that we have a voice today, based on the social media, so um, mobile technology, um, we can change it on a small scale, what has maybe in the future a bigger impact. Okay, do you think that uh, an aware citizenry or citizenship and that we actually have the power to change just through our voices, whether they're I don't know if there's Yelp for city government, Mike, but do you think that uh, that we actually can band together, group together, shows like this will actually make a difference in time for us to st still be around to say, dang, that's a lot of traffic, or will we all be retired and say it's somebody else's problem? How fast are we going to be able to change it? Any thoughts, Mike? Yeah, I believe it is already changing. I think uh, um, people, our government people are listening already, and um, based on the fact that they are... Um, um, investigating on social media, like with um, um, uh, companies, what was actually pretty um, in the last couple of months in the news regarding the election in the States. Yes, absolutely, it will change and it will change pretty fast. Thank you very much. Good words of wisdom from Mike Everhart. Mike, where are you? You're in Kuala Lumpur. Um, how, how is technology over there? Are, you, are they all up to date or is it a, a struggle to get a connection? No, actually, it is pretty good, uh, except um, when you go to the street, it is traffic jam 24 hours, especially in downtown. Um, <laughs> it's a good example <laughs> how uh, uh, technology, can, technology can impact um, also uh, a city like Lumpur. And I believe, um, uh, especially in, in the Asian countries, um, we have approximately 15 large, super mega large cities in, uh, in Asia, uh, with Shanghai, Tokyo. And um, they are working already on new uh, way how to uh, manage the traffic with new ways like uh, public transportation with uh, shared ser shared taxi services, and um, uh, and they have to do it. It's not a question. Wow, you know, I'm really surprised. Let me just go around the table quickly. Donovan, Gwen, are you surprised? There's 24 hour day traffic in Kuala Lumpur. <laughs> I, I'm not, you know, it's, uh, it's, I'd like to get underneath it because, um, you, you know, if you're in a car 24 hours, that doesn't make sense. So I wonder if there's just a lot of shifting <laughs> that's going on and when people are working or how the government there is managing it. Uh, I know that region of the world, you know, there's, there's only so much space and there's a lot of people. I know um, based on a recent study, um, Thailand, for instance, had the worst traffic in the world uh, from a country perspective. Um, so... Uh, you know, I'm not. I guess I'm not surprised, but I, I'd love to try to figure out what's driving that. Literally and figuratively. Thank you very much, Jesse Sandberg. Are you surprised there's so much traffic in Kuala Lumpur of all places? I'm not surprised if, if any place that has traffic day and night, if they don't sort of proactively figure out how to solve a problem of that sort. There you go. Well, I guess I'm the only one who's surprised, and that's okay to be the outlier on the panel. That's just fine with me. Thank you, Mike. That was very provocative. Glad I asked the question. Let's circle back around to Donovan. This is the part of the show where we get a little bit up close and personal, and I'd love to know where you are today, Donovan, and what's new with you? We spoke a couple months ago. 
I'm getting an echo on my line, Aaron. And I also love to know what drink powers you to be so smart. Go ahead, Donovan. <laughs> oh, laughing on the, the last question. Uh, let's say, take the first one. So I'm in St. Louis this week. Um, mm-hmm. Just normal life at IBM, working on proposals for companies. Uh, and this particular client is, has no presence here. It's just the lead partner we're working with. Recently had knee surgery, and he cannot fly. So this is near his home, and that's where we're meeting to help him out. Nice. Next week, we're supposed to be in Houston because another member of the team, his wife, is due to have a baby soon, and he can't travel. So... This is what we do as a community to help each other out in the craziness of a place like IBM. Um, <laughs> but lovely town. Uh, okay. <laughs> on the drink perspective, I, you know, I don't know if it makes me smarter, but I do get to travel around quite a bit. So um, I'm going to go pull out a story from, um, I was in South Africa once in Cape Town. Never been there before, and I've, I've not had the benefit of going there since, but I, um, I found it's an interesting mix of cultures, and so on the waterfront there, you know, you can see, you know, um, well, there was a Belgian restaurant, you know, because they have Belgian influence, they have English influence mm-hmm. and others, um, and the, this Belgian restaurant, uh, they had this beer from Belgium called Quack, which was named for a brewer way back. Uh, it's a dark, caramelly kind of uh, beer, and, it, you know, a lot of these beers from Belgium will have their own special glass. Well, apparently this glass is so difficult for them to get that in order to give me the beer, they had to take my left shoe and and walk it over behind the bar. They have a basket tied behind the bar to a rope on a fish hook, and then they they lower the basket, put the shoe in, and then they raise the the basket back up. So I can't get it until I give them back a a glass. I can't steal it. I can't break it. I, I am rarely speechless, Donovan. I'm sitting here literally with my mouth open. <laughs> say, and I found it. I, I'm going to read a little bit. Fat, may I read a little bit from the Quack Beer site? You sure, might? Yeah. Okay, Quack, if anybody wants to know, it's K-W-A-K, not Q-U-A-C-K. <laughs> Quack, a Belgian beer in a unique glass. According to tourist guys, there are over 1,000 types of Belgian beer. Quite a few have their own unique glass. The most distinctive is the Quack Vessel. 25-centimeter glass tube with a flared top and a round bulbous bottom is held by a wooden clamp. In fact, this glass would tip over if you were to set it down on a table. Oh, so it's suspended by the clamp. It looks like a beaker in a lab. It looks like a a laboratory. According to the Quack website, quote, in Napoleon's time, Pavel, P-A-U... W-E-L, I assume that's Pavel Quack, was a brewer and the owner of the D. Horn Inn near Brussels. Mail coaches stopped every day, but coachmen were not allowed to leave their coach and horses. The inventive innkeeper had a special quack glass blown that could be hung on the coach. The coachman had his quack beer safely at hand. Wow, what a story. And I'm at bestbelgianbeers.wordpress.com if anybody wants to look it up. Donovan, you outdid yourself. Thank you very, very much. Love the story. And now, Jesse Sandberg, you're not in competition with Donovan, but we do want to know where you are and what you love to drink. Go ahead, Jesse. Oh, my goodness. goodness. I am in Washington, <laughs> D.C., downtown. And um, so I, my drink is Jack Daniels. And you might not know this, but Jack Daniels has a secret society of members invited by other members who get sort of inside information about um, the location, what they're brewing. And if you visit, you get special treatment. It's an hour or two outside of Nashville. And um, so I am a squire. And uh, oh. that's my drink. 
Very, very nice. How's the weather down there in D.C.? Is it the same here, kind of gray and looking like it's going to rain again, or what's going on? Exactly. 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 <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> the, uh, the Durham, North Carolina weather seems to be very similar even to the New York weather. I have friends in, uh, in Bayside, which is Queens near the Long Island border of Nassau County. And we see, the, we either follow about, they follow about 12 hours after us, but typically if we have rain, they're going to get rain very soon. So I'm the weather barometer for my friends in New York. Mike Eberhardt, what are you drinking today? We know where you are. What are you drinking or what would you love to be drinking? Yeah, as usual, when I'm uh, somewhere aboard, uh, I I always try to uh, to adapt to the local beer uh, breweries. So right now I have a Tiger beer in front of me. Um, what is um, nice and cold, and because outside we have 33, 34 degrees at uh, midnight, so it is um, the best drink for right now. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Mike. And we're so happy to have you. It took a while to get you, but we're thrilled. So you know what? We're going to take a very quick break. I'll call it the pause that refreshes or the minute and a half of fame for somebody. I don't know. I can't give you 15 minutes on the break. We're going to give our panelists a chance to just regroup for a second. And I'm going to be chatting with them about where we're going to start the roundtable. If you're just tuning in, this is episode number 323. I'm the only one who keeps count of Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio Live, about 48 times a year since October 5th, 2011. That much I know. Our topic today is something that should be near and dear to everyone in our listening audience around the world. Smart citizen engagement and transportation. Just get me there on time. Part three of a great conversation. Donovan Guin at IBM, Mike Eberhardt at SAP, and welcoming to the panel newcomer to Game Changers, Jesse Sandberg, also at IBM. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and all I'm drinking is water because they don't let me anywhere near caffeine or hops, for that matter, on radio show days. But I did have a great Bruegel's bagel with a little bit of cream cheese and a little bit of milk this morning. So there, that was breakfast. We're going to be right back. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com follow the voice america talk radio network on twitter we're at voice america trn you'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows this week's featured guests and general happenings that you should know about at the voice america talk radio network now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office just go to twitter.com forward slash voice america trn or follow along with us at voice america trn the voice america talk radio network We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
you're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Yes, indeed, let's. We're talking about an issue, a problem, a scenario that impacts you, whether you live in a city, near a city, or whether you're visiting a city. It's called the T-word traffic. So our topic is smart citizen engagement and transportation. Just get me there on time. Special panelists. Donovan Guin at IBM, Jesse Samberg, S-A-M-B-E-R-G, if you want to look him up, also at IBM, and Mike Eberhardt calling in from the traffic-riddled traffic place of Kuala Lumpur. I'm still the only one who's surprised by that on the panel. We're going to start at the roundtable, let's see, with some comments here that Donovan sent me before the show. And let's do what I love to call level setting, Donovan. Let's explain, define the problem. You're going to talk about the world's worst countries for traffic. And I'll just read two lines here. The U.S. was tied with Russia for the worst traffic of any developed country. And only Thailand, Colombia, and Indonesia came in worse. Donovan, what's up with this? Talk to me. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, thinking about those three countries ahead of us, they're, they're much smaller physically, and they have very different economies, right? Um, and to have the U.S., which has all of this space, right, and all of these resources and the world's biggest economy, supposedly, to be on the list of among the worst, right? We're tied with Russia uh, for uh, countries of our size, right? Um, you know, I think what's been going on is uh, several things. Uh, in the U.S. in particular, you know, we've historically underinvested in our infrastructure since the sort of big wave of it in the Eisenhower administration. Um, we've slowly been creeping back to doing tolling, right, to pay for this. The money from the federal government to pay for it has been gradually dwindling. Um, and at the same time, our economies continue to thrive, right? We, we have some ups and downs, but generally since the last 20, 30 years, it's been on an upswing. And um, cities can't keep up with it, right? There's not a lot of space left for them to put new roads. Um, and every time they, they extend the capacity, right, it just fills up pretty quickly. So um, it's a never-ending problem. And then you add up, you know, all the large cities and metros that we have and just an aggregate, um, not only are Americans on average spending an extra week a year essentially just sitting in peak traffic, um, you know, collectively, it has a big impact on their lives, right? I mean, they're getting home late, they're having to leave early, it's time away from the family, it's increasing stress, health impacts, right? Um, and then people are shifting away because they don't want to drive two hours to get to work anymore. So it just has these, all these added consequences, both at a personal and a economic level. It's very interesting. Very, very interesting. Thank you. Jesse Sandberg, a couple of comments from you on Mike's, uh, no, I'm sorry, Donovan's topic, and then we'll get Mike in. Go ahead, Jesse. I mean, it's really interesting that probably 10 years ago, we were all talking about telecommuting, that mm-hmm. everybody would be working from their home, that technology would enable them to stay at home and not travel. And what's happened in the last 10 years is we've realized that there are communities of innovation, and those communities need people. They need critical mass. And so... Instead of folks staying at home and trying to dial in or call in, what we have is sort of an exploding inner city innovation. And, you know, you can just look at WeWork and others to realize that 
we're building in the city more spaces for people to come in and work and hang out and interact. So what we thought was probably the great escape from the problem of inner city transit has had the exact opposite impact over the last 10 years. Thank you, Jesse. Mike Eberhardt, thoughts on this, please? Yes, absolutely. Um, I think um, based on the trend um, that um, uh, families or uh, people from the countryside are moving as well to the city will, um, will, uh, will actually increase the impact as well on the traffic. Um, I don't think so that we are going to fix this issue um, with uh, smart cars or with smart um, uh, self-driving cars. It needs an, a more and stronger investment from the cities to build up new ways how to transport people from place A to place B. And if this is not going to happen, we will see the collapse. And the collapse will happen. Well, I hope it doesn't. We don't want that to happen. And who was it who mentioned Uber a few minutes ago? Was that you, Jesse? Talked about bringing so many more cars into the New York metro yeah. area and other cities? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the other downside, you are, I'm sure you're aware, is that people whose families invested on a legacy basis, invested in taxi medallions, have seen the value drop, plummet, plunge from a couple of million per medallion down to they're lucky if they can get a couple of hundred thousand, and even that is continuing to drop. So it, it destroyed, I use that word advisedly, of course, it, it destroyed long-term investments. A lot of these were people coming to the U.S. with family money from other countries, trying to make a living and leave something for their family, build a life here, and this was going to be, what should we say, the, the, golden, the golden child or the golden opportunity to do something and, and help the city with transportation own something and yeah. make a contribution. And poof, right? I mean, one, one of the, I mean... The idea that disruption always leads to progress is, you know, it, it's debatable. And mm -hmm. there's an unintended consequence for almost any activity that, that, is, that is disruptive as Uber. And that's, so you're pointing out one, which is, yes, the taxi industry is falling apart. I'm not sure in New York, but you know, I'd say on the other side, it has motivated New York City to look at the taxi fleet a little bit differently. And if you've been in New York lately, there are yellow taxis, there's green taxis. Mm -hmm. So even the taxi industry has had Black to cars. hustle mm -hmm. to try and see how can we provide better transit in the outer boroughs and not just pile everybody into Manhattan. So sometimes, you know, it's a, it's a mix, it's a lot of mixed uh, results from almost any disruption. And I think we'll talk more about what Uber and Lyft and others have done sort of generally to traffic in New York. Yes. And while I have you, Jesse Sandberg, I'm looking at your notes. I'm going to move on. Uh, Donovan, I think we talked about the worst enough. I want to move on to some possible solutions. So the MTA Metropolitan Transit Authority in New York and I don't know if there's an MTA in other cities, but I believe Jesse is focusing on New York. MTA has proposed seven categories of improvement. Jesse, let me just read the list and then pick a couple and just explain them to us. So you talk about create a modern network, expand bus priority, 
require effective traffic enforcement, uh uh-huh, 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 speed up boarding, wouldn't that be nice, improve the customer experience, well, that would be lovely if it was a priority, I don't know if it is, maybe it'll be a consequence, (laughs) that's my opinion, provide active, proactive service management and enhance the fleet. So, Jesse, if you had to prioritize, what would be the top three in this list for you? I mean, I I would say, let me, you know, there's a, there are sort of mechanical solutions like, you know, should we make the traffic lights um, be impactful by a bus arriving so it doesn't have to sit and idle? And, ah. you know, should we have doors in the back where you can get on a bus? So there's a few things that are sort of mechanical improvements. But I'd say if you look at the, the idea of improved customer experience, what does that mean? And in government and transit, that's a question that's really, really hard to get your hands around. And I think for a lot of reasons, primarily kind of the governance and the culture of government doesn't lend itself very easily to change in a, in a changing environment like we're in today. But if you think about it, so in Manhattan, for many, many, for 20 years, we've been talking about congestion pricing like they have in London, mm-hmm. whereby you pay a surcharge to go into Midtown during the day. We couldn't get it done. So I was at the MTA for 30 years in a lot of different senior executive roles, and we looked at and promoted that idea many times over the years, and politically it, were, it just wouldn't fly for a lot of different reasons. You think about it now, um, in the last few years, as we said, people are moving to inner cities, and more people are taking the subway and bus system in New York City than at any time since the 1940s. So that's an incredible change in sort of culture and the use of mass transit. If you remember in the yeah. 70s when Gerald Ford said to New York City on the famous New York Post cover, drop dead, the city and the MTA itself were in bankruptcy, and we've sort of come a long way since then. I'd say New York is probably the most dynamic city in the world right now. It certainly has the most visitors, tourists, etc. So in all of that, the irony is along come Lyft and Uber, and Lyft and Uber sort of disrupt traffic in New York so that it's virtually impossible to get around town. Um, and at the same time, the subway system needed repair and couldn't afford to sort of meet the demand. And here comes the idea of congestion pricing, which solves both problems at the same time. It says you can't drive in Midtown without paying a price, and the money that's raised by those fees go to mass transit. So it's a unique time where we're thinking holistically of the solution to traffic congestion in New York, and it meets both requirements of cars and of mass transit. So I'd say, you know, so there's... What, what is the customer experience out of all of this? We also need to think about Jesse Sandberg. What, what is he writing and why and how? Mm-hmm. We used to think 
Uber would take him the last mile of his ride and drop him on the subway and he'd get off. And uh, But that's not what happened. So we need to think what what best serves him, his mile walk to the subway or the bus and his transportation. I think we're in a sort of, an, in my 30 years, I don't think we ever got to this point right now to consider what is the, really the customer experience. Very, very interesting. I, I stopped taking the subway years ago, Jesse. I just simply refused. And buses, I would rather walk or, or quote-unquote, hop a cab if I'm midtown. I'll be in New York this weekend. I'm going to do a lot of walking. But Long Island Railroad from Great Neck, from the Nassau County, our, our bedroom suburb on the Port Washington branch, was really the only way to get into the city. And, and I learned to avoid the express trains arduously. I would even wait 45 minutes in Penn Station during rush hour to wait for a local because I knew even if I was staying when I got on, eventually, yeah. after a couple stops, people would disembark at their at the Queen stops, and I would have a quiet seat to go the rest of the way to Nassau County. So we, we learn our techniques. Thank you very much. And by the way, I did Google the drop-dead headline. Ford never said it, but uh, he gave a speech on October 29, 1975, denying federal assistance to spare New York from bankruptcy. The front page of the Daily News said Ford to city drop-dead. He actually didn't say it, but they said it cost him the New York vote by Democrats the following year, and Jimmy Carter won the state by a narrow margin. So very interesting. I just wanted to give you a little background on that. So let's move around the table. Mike Eberhardt, I know you want to comment on the MTA priorities Jesse just shared. What do you think, Mike? Um, I have a very, very good example. Um, um, uh, I love Uber because it it helps me um, to get um, the last mile. I'm using since a couple of months uh, just public transportation because I'm sick of traffic. And as I have to go to the airport, I don't like to be on the airport too early, so I'm using mm-hmm. public transportation. So I really believe that Uber um, changed quite a lot. And um, I'm, I, it's not a joke. I refilled my car this year one time. So, I, oh. <laughs> so I'm not using my car anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so I believe this is, this is a change. And, uh, and believe me, I, I love cars. I love driving, but not anymore with this traffic. So I... I'm a public transportation user. <laughs> well, more and but more I, people in, in New York are. Go ahead, go ahead. But to the, to the comments of Chessia, I really yes. believe uh, it needs um, a sustainable plan. It needs not just an um, 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 uh, increase of um, taxes on certain areas in the city. And uh, for example, in Germany, they have already a couple of cities They have such kind of system. Um, it needs more to... Um, to invest in our public transportation. And and I really believe this is the future. Okay. Well, let's hope so. All I ask for public transportation is that it be safe, it not have traffic, meaning crowds and crowds crushing to get in and crushing to get out. And just it it has to come way higher up on the customer experience food chain, which was mentioned in Jesse's list, for me to even bother taking it again. So there, uh, Donovan, Gwen, IBM, let's circle around the table to you. Any thoughts on the seven priorities, the seven interesting ways of approaching a solution by the MTA? Uh, you know, I, I think they're all valuable. I, I personally, I will walk in Manhattan first before getting in a car or on the subway because I just like the yep. idea of controlling my pace unless it's like snowing or terrible out. Um, you know, Jesse and I were talking last night about how, uh, you, you know, the MTA basically is an authority that controls 
public transportation in that area. Um, and it's similar to others, right? We have MBTA in Boston, and, and they're, you know, corollary mm-hmm. the OCTA in Los Angeles, right? But um, it's one of the choices you have as a consumer, right? Yes. Um, and, you know, you can opt to walk. You can get in an Uber lift. You can get in your own car. Um, so you, can, you know, there are other, you can get on the road, basically, right? So it's, it's kind of this competing set of options, which are all managed in silos, right? So I've been working a lot with the transportation authorities, the turnpike authorities around the country who are starting to try to figure out how they also pay for their infrastructure, um, you know, through tolling, right? So they're looking at um, allowing you to drive in an HOV lane, uh, and you might be by yourself, but we'll charge you a fee for it. Okay, well, how do they okay. do that but still give a discount to people that carpool? Um, yeah. How do they... How do they shift the commercial traffic uh, off hours so it's not competing with the rush hour commuters, right? So now they need to come up with, uh, like Rhode Island's looking at truck tolling, right, or, uh, or commercial contracts. We have one client uh, offering, you know, livery services and trucking services. Um, and this complexity is basically, you know, enabling them to monetize the assets better and control the flow, but they're all being done in a silo, right? No one is sitting there looking at these options holistically the way a consumer would and say, you know what, maybe in New York at certain times of day I want to get everybody on the trains and the buses, and other times of day I'd rather them get on the roads because I need to work on the tracks or whatever. Um, and so it, it, getting, I think, Jesse, you were making the comment, This part of the, the challenge here is something we've talked about in earlier episodes of this podcast, which is so many of our agencies work in silos, right? Even the DOTs themselves right, have both the, the RMVs under them on one side and the transit authorities on the other, and all of them operate pretty much independently. And so <laughs> it just seems like a lost opportunity. So whose job is it to yeah, get them together and, and, and break would, down would, the silos? Go ahead, Jesse. Jump mm-hmm. on it for a second. But, so I, I think we've reached the point where um, technology has made us sort of rethink what used to be givens about government, its ability to make, you know, intelligent decisions, and we're heading towards a a point where um, we will be thinking more holistically, not just about how technology moves traffic, but, for example, how, you know, whether or not Jesse and Bonnie are on a corner and the light will change, or there'll be a sensor in the street on the sidewalk he'll see that nobody's there and let the, let the traffic keep running. And oh, thank goodness. <laughs> we're going to get so deep into data that enables us to plan better for, I'd say, transportation in general, whether it's car or mass transit, that it's going to look like a, a new world in the next 10 years. I like the next 10 years. Save that for your prediction, Jesse. Very, uh, that gives me a great segue. I'm moving on from your topic to something in Mike Eberhardt's notes. We just have a few more minutes. Let's see where we can go with this. Mike says, quote, it is not a question. Industry 4.0 will impact government and for sure as well smart driving and transportation. Here it comes, kids. Wait for it. Everything will be based on Internet of Things and blockchain technology in combination with high-performance AI, that's artificial intelligence programs, and supercomputer farms. Mike, can you give us a little more on this, please? Great great segue, Jesse. Thank you for that. Yeah, um um, based on the fact that uh, with all the investment from companies like uh, Google, um, uh, Tesla, 
uh, it's it's changed actually um, the way of thinking as well from the the rest of the um, the car manufacturing industry. Um, I really believe that um, we are moving on more faster in the near future, and it will have a mass massive impact how we are actually driving around, uh, how we are using the time in the traffic. So if we if if our if my car is driving by myself, and um, I can actually hook up as well with uh, people around in my uh, friend um, to, to to drive with me, um, and we have uh, more useful conversation, more uh, time for um, work, um, uh, meetings in the car, because the car is driving me from A to B. Um, I really believe this is um, going to change quite a lot um, our daily life. Thank you. And, and you also said the question is, how can we handle all the data? And that's always an issue when you have reams and streams and volumes and velocities of data coming in, especially through IoT sensors. What in the hell do you do intelligently with them? How do you know what data to keep, what to throw, you know, when to know, know how to hold them and know when to fold them and all that good Kenny Rogers, the gambler stuff. I'm going to circle around the table very quickly. Donovan, why don't you give us a quick comment on what Mike proposed? Agree or disagree? Uh, agree. I, I like the blockchain angle. Um, mm -hmm. We actually have a proposal out for one government where, you know, they, they have this problem too, where everything is managed in silos, but really they need a holistic view of it. So um, rather than ripping out all the systems for each of those agencies, we're proposing putting in a blockchain. Uh, it's a hyperledger, right, where essentially uh, any pieces of data that any of them want to share or need to share with each other are basically written into that and they can all access it. And it starts to give them a holistic view of things that they couldn't see before, like uh, correlations between um, uh, licenses, types of cars on the road, accidents, uh, uh, personal injury, right, um, charging, right, to do that kind of holistic correlation that they couldn't do on their own. So, you know, I guess my prediction is that we'll, we'll see a move towards more of that to help essentially these economies and these governments that manage them do for themselves what they can't effectively do on their own. Thank you very much. Jesse, let's get your thoughts on this before we move quickly into the predictions round in a minute and a half. But Jesse Sandberg, I'd love to get your thoughts on IoT, blockchain, these supercomputer farms. Agree or disagree? Well, let, let me go back to Mick Jagger again because <laughs> when he said you can't always get what you want, but if you try, you might get what you need. So we're, we're going to be talking about a lot of different technologies moving in a lot of different directions, and we may want them all. But I think, as, you know, as Donovan just said, I, I think we're going to have to get to the point where there's a holistic approach. We look at them all. How do they not work individually, but how do they work as an ecosystem? And that's the place where... We haven't got there. We haven't gotten there yet, but um, you know, I'm confident that we will get there. Thank you very much. I like that confidence, Mike. You want to wrap that one up? I can give you just one one minute, and then we're going to go back to Donovan. Donovan, get ready with your 60 seconds of glorious prediction, please. Mike, anything you want to quickly top that one off with, please? Yeah, um, the, the only thing what I'm a little bit scared is uh, when it comes to data security and um, hacking the system. Um, as more as more as we are connecting everything, as more as we are also uh, facing the situation that someone can actually misuse the data or mm -hmm. uh, shut shut down everything by purpose. 
the making of another great sci-fi movie, but I digress. Thank you, Mike. (laughs) And we'll have to use the Rolling Stones as the theme song. Thank you, Jesse. Donovan Guin, I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Let's do something profound. Transportation, city, citizen engagement, IoT, AI, blockchain, supercomputers, public transportation, any or all of the above. 60 seconds. What's your prediction, Donovan? You know, I, I'm often the optimist, but I'm concerned. I think these uh, self-driving cars and, and vehicles are going to have a major impact on um, transportation and our, in particular, our urban environments in ways that um, we, we don't understand yet, just as we talked about the unintended consequences of Uber and Lyft. Um, I think we'll, we'll see some of those. We don't know what those consequences will be, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's... Uh, it causes you know the government agencies that regulate these about 10 to 15 years to try to figure out what to do about it. Uh, and in the middle, we'll probably suffer some pain. And as I said in my opening from the White Rabbit, I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. I think that's going to still be, you know, they should build that into cars when or into cell phones when you arrive at a meeting by public transportation or private vehicle. And you walk in and say, where in the blank have you been? And you played as, I'm late, I'm late for a very important date. Anyway, just just uh, digressing here. Jesse Sandberg, love to have your prediction. Jesse, I have a whole 60 seconds for you. Go ahead. I did. So I'll take 10 seconds by saying, now when you walk into a meeting and you say, I was stuck on the subway, somebody can go to an app and see whether that's true or not. Absolutely so, you know, the old excuse Absolutely that everybody true. used every day doesn't work anymore. But in, in, the, I, old, I in, the, say, yeah. in the old days, I, somebody, say, I used to come home late and somebody used to say to me, I listened to 1010 Winds. There was no traffic on the Southern State Parkway. Where were you really? I'm not going to go there. But I, I was the, the yeah. subject of that for many, many years. So go, go ahead, Jesse. What's your prediction? Well, when you think about 50, 50% of households don't have landlines anymore, right? They only have cell phones. Every part of our lives has been impacted by technology, certainly entertainment, banking, etc., except for government. So all of this transportation discussion we're having to some extent relies on our government to begin to make decisions, and we're still a government of the 20th century. So we're, we're in that transition. I don't know if it's five or ten years until we turn the corner and government looks more like like the technology that we expect in the future. Thank you very much. And, Jesse, I'm thinking of the squeegee people in New York. Do you know if they're still there, the ones who stop you at a light? They're not there any longer. They're not there. Well, Just as a final, 15% of people think that the subways look like they did in the movie The French Connection when they were (laughs) completely covered by graffiti and they're, they're cleaned every single night and there are no squeegee folks anymore. Thank you very much. That's a New York Inside thing. Thank you, Jesse. Mike Eberhardt, I saved. Oh, my goodness, Mike, I can give you 90 seconds if you use them quickly. That's a little bit of an oxymoron there. Go ahead, Mike. What do you think for predictions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty positive. Um, um, I just uh, arrived from Singapore, what has one of the best uh, city transportation systems um, in town. And um, you can, okay, they have also quite high taxes on cars. Uh, but mm-hmm. on the other side, um, um, it, it, it works. It, um, you cannot find any more many cars on the street. People are using public transportation. Um, 
it works. It is just a question of time that, uh, that, uh, that the cities are actually uh, copying what is working. Um, for sure, uh, Singapore is not as big as New York or uh, Los Angeles or as, as Tokyo. Or as Donovan mentioned, uh, Jakarta, what is one of the biggest pollu pollution producer um, mm. in a large city. But I think um, with the, the pollution, um, with the health, what has as well an impact on the health cost, um, cities or government has to move. And it has a positive impact. Thank you. Thank you very much. Very interesting input from all three of you. Jesse, I hope this was a good experience for you. Mike and Donovan are, are veterans of Game Changers. Jesse, how would you feel? I love it. Call me back. Good. Uh, I was waiting for that. You will get a call back. Absolutely. Yes, we loved your audition. I'm only teasing. Donovan Gewen, always a pleasure. And I think we have to do a shout out to Kirk Talbot. Uh, who was a previous panelist on, on a similar topic to this, unable to join us. But, Kirk, we hope you will come back at some point, and you and Jesse can both be on a show together. There you go. So we have been talking about smart citizen engagement and transportation very optimistically. Just get me there on time, maybe one day soon. We won't have to say, I'm late, I'm late. We'll leave that one alone. I sound like Barbara Walters on 2020. Donovan knows what I mean. Jesse probably does, too. So I want to say thank you to my three very special panelists. Great input, great insights and great prep appreciated and thank you to Aaron our engineer extraordinaire at the business channel team tomorrow morning 10 a.m eastern right here on the business channel another episode of think big work small that's looking at the SME business population small to mid-sized enterprise and you know who you are Bonnie D. Graham signing off here's my call to action and how appropriate fasten your seatbelt maybe it's not your car maybe it's a train a plane a bus a bike put the darn seatbelt on what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Donovan, just like Jesse, and just like Mike. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.